Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello and welcome. I am Tim Farron and this is the show where you get to hear from a Christian politician about how they live out their faith in the mucky business of politics. You might well think that politics is tainted by compromise and by sin. Well, obviously you would be right, but then again, so is everything else since the fall. And I think Christians should be praying for their brothers and sisters who are involved in politics in an informed way. Today, we'll be speaking to Sir Gary Streeter, the Conservative MP for South West Devon, who has been in Parliament since 1992. And Gary oversees the well-being of all the other Christians in Parliament, including me, so has a good idea about who they are and how many there are. So we'll be asking him how much the Christian influence has changed over the last three decades and what keeps him going as a backbencher. All of that to come, but first, Cara Bentley has a roundup of some of the stories that you might have missed. Well, the British Museum is facing its latest We Want This Back campaign, which involves 11 Ethiopian altar tablets looted by the British in 1868. They are carved pieces of wood which have never been put on display but have huge spiritual significance back home. A Lib Dem peer in the House of Lords has asked the government when they are going to be returned to the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which wants them back. The British Museum says more time is needed before it can be looked at by its trustees. CBBC presenter and Strictly Come Dancing contestant Rhys Stevenson has opened up about his Christian faith. During a segment on Saturday's show, Stevenson said his faith was the one constant in his life. He continued, My family and I are Christians and that has been an integral part of who we are, before describing his church as a second home. And MPs return to the House of Commons next Monday with lots of things to discuss and ministers will be gearing up for the COP26 climate change summit in Glasgow at the end of the month. And Tim, it's not just politicians who are getting ready for that. Well, as climate protesters glue themselves to the M25 and block roads, Prince Charles has said that he understands their anger. Now, speaking yesterday, His Royal Highness shared his view that all these young people feel nothing is ever happening, so of course they're going to get frustrated. But he did also criticise them for alienating people by preventing them going about their daily lives. So how should Christians think about climate change and civil disobedience? Do we agree with Prince Charles? I've heard some Christians say that any change in the climate is God's sovereign will, that it's just arrogant to suggest that human beings control the climate and futile to think that we can still the storm as Jesus did. But with respect, I think that would be to read scripture wrongly. Human sin is real. It was the trigger for the curse on creation, God's good creation tainted by sin and the consequences of sin. We should not be surprised then that human greed and rampant materialism has had an impact on our planet. Our desire to have ever more comfortable lives, make more money and squander resources unthinkingly has caused a situation where the Earth's temperature is rapidly rising and changing weather patterns are affecting the quality of life of billions of people. Most Christians would agree that human sin damages relationships, families, 
and society. So of course it's likely to damage the natural world too. Our planet is a gift from God. In Genesis, God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Psalm 24 reveals that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We're given stewardship of God's good creation. Climate change is a consequence of our failure. In James 5, we read, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence, which takes us away from God. It makes us idolaters. It blights the earth. And what are the consequences of catastrophic climate change? Land becomes useless, either deluged by water or desiccated and capable of growing nothing. This causes the mass movement of desperate people whose homelands become uninhabitable, which I think gives us a key biblical motive to care about climate change. Love your neighbour. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus tells us that our neighbour is everyone, even those we have never met, even those not yet born. We'll talk more in coming weeks about the vital COP26 summit, but surely we want its outcomes to be ambitious, practical and urgent. If we care about justice, we will want to ensure the poorest are given serious help from the richest to transition quickly. We won't be loving our neighbour if we plunge them into debt and poverty or force them out of work. So climate change is a huge threat, but many Christians will feel uneasy about using civil disobedience to fight it. Romans 13 tells us that all authority is established by God and to resist opposes God's ordinances. But I think I agree with Prince Charles here. I worry not that the protests are ungodly, but that they may be counterproductive. Many Christians have engaged in civil disobedience, Martin Luther King for one, which means peacefully protesting, sometimes breaking the law and meekly accepting the consequences in service of the cause. That isn't resisting authority. It is accepting it while making a stand. So I don't think such actions break the scriptural command to respect the authorities. But if your actions turn the people against you, then you may have damaged your cause. And given that climate change is a matter of life and death to our neighbours alive today and those yet to be born, I'm not sure we are loving our neighbour if our actions ultimately lead to failure. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, today our guest is Gary Streeter. Gary, it's an absolute joy to have you with us. Tell us possibly the most important question. How did you become a Christian? Well, thanks, Tim. It's great to be with you. Uh, my story is slightly unusual because I, I grew up in a non-Christian household. And by the time I got to university, I was I, I considered myself an atheist. And in fact, I remember at university trying to talk other people who thought they were Christians, out of it, their, their faith. That's lovely, isn't it? Um, but on the very same day as I got my uh, university degree, on the 14th of July, 1977, in fact, Tim, well before you were born, uh, I went to a dance in Tiverton, where I grew up, to celebrate and literally fell in love with a beautiful woman that night. And a year and a day later, we were married. She was a Christian and I was not. And of course, in my mind, well, that didn't matter because it was a load of rubbish anyway. But after about six months of our marriage, clearly this was becoming inconvenient to tag along to church with her. So I started to look at the Gospels and study Christianity with a view to, this is so arrogant, forgive me, uh, coming to a view that it was rubbish and persuading Jan that actually it, it was a load of nonsense and leading her out of it so we could have a proper, sensible life, including reading the newspapers on Sunday, which, as you know, is what Sundays are for. 
Uh, that didn't go so well because after about three or four months, I was soundly intellectually converted. A couple of weeks later, gave my life to Jesus in a ramshackled old former Boy Scout hut in southeast London where we were going to church. And best decision I ever made. Of course it was. Um, and Gary, thank you for sharing that with us. Now, your passage into politics wasn't long after that. Um, you, you first joined the SDP. You became a councillor. Uh, you were in David Owen's sort of fiefdom in, in Plymouth. So um, that perhaps explains that a bit. You we, we, And we forgive you for all this. Don't worry. You crossed the floor. You became a Conservative councillor. What drew you into politics? What made you think that as a Christian, politics is a field that would be a good place to be? Well, I, I, I didn't come to that conclusion. I believe very firmly, if you cut me open like a stick of rock, I think God calling me into politics is the one thing I absolutely fundamentally stand on and believe. Because in 1985, so as a Christian in Plymouth, trying to serve God as best I can, trying to be obedient, had a sense of calling, didn't know what it was. The elders of the church, yes, we agree as a calling on his life. What for? We don't know. And I was got quite desperate. Uh, and towards the end of 1985, Jan just said to me, look, just go away, pray and fast, come back when you think God has spoken to you. Now, I'm not mm -hmm. talking about an audible voice, Tim, but I am. Later on that night, after a day of prayer and fasting, I came back and Jan said to me, did you hear anything? And I said, yes, I believe God is calling us into politics. And she went, oh, no. <laughs> uh, and she was right. Age of 30, I knew nothing about it. So on the following Monday, I said to my partners in my big law firm, partner in a big law firm in Plymouth, I'm getting involved in politics, but I have no idea which party to join. And that's when the David Owen thing rocked in. And I thought, oh, I'll join the SDP. Why not? But as I started to think about politics, uh, I, I realised I'm a natural, forgive me, I'm a natural Tory. Uh, and that's where I, I belong. But, you know, God wants his people in all parties. That's the most important thing. And we should all join the party and support the party. That most accords with our outlook on life. I've said that a few times. Well, indeed. And, you know, as a, as a grumpy old liberal, we're sniffy about the SDP as well. So that's all I right by me. I do, yes. I do that. <laughs> um, so obviously your faith didn't just play a part in you coming into politics. It was the thing that drove you into politics. So you were elected in 1992. Um, have you always, you know, you've been chair of Christians in Parliament for the last 10 years. Have you always, over your almost 30 years in Parliament, been as open about your faith in in politics as you are today? I'd like to think that I have, Tim. Um, there's been a sea change, I think, in the attitude towards church, uh, to, of, of church towards politics. When I was first elected in 92, a lot of people, senior Christians, would say, well, how can you be a Christian and involved in politics? And that's one of the great joys of the last 30 years, is that there has been this sea change, and now it's much more understood in the church that, yes, of course, we should send our, you know, our bright young men and women into the realm of politics. What's politics about? It's about making decisions on behalf of men and women and children in this country on every single issue. So, of course, you want men and women of faith and values in that. But in the 20th century, we had fled the field. And it's a joy to me that we're now going back in again to serve our country and to make it stronger and better. So I'd like to think that that's, that's been my narrative all the way through. But of course, I had experience as minister under John Major's government, remember him, and also in the shadow cabinet under William Hague. Great training for the work I've been doing in the last 10 years of sort of standing alongside other members of parliament and encouraging them in their faith. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. We're talking with the MP for South West Devon, Gary Streeter. So, Gary, picking up on that, you, you were elected or you became the chair of Christians in Parliament uh, in the early part of the 
uh, of the parliament starting in 2010. Um, you've now been chair of Christians in Parliament for, for 10 years. What does that role involve? Well, Christians in Parliament is an all-party group, and it exists <clears throat> to encourage and equip Christians from all parties and all denominations, or wherever they are with their theology or their, on their journey, uh, encourage and equip them to sort of flourish in, let's face it, a pretty challenging world, which is 21st century politics in the United Kingdom, or I guess any generation and in, in any country. And so that's what we're there for. And we encourage people to get into fellowship groups. We run Bible studies. We employ three people full time. We've, we've had some wonderful people who've you know, funded the work that we've been doing. That's been a great joy. We put on events. We help uh, members of Parliament think about some of the great issues. You know, what does the Bible say about looking after the environment or some of the, the hot topics of sort of life and death issues? Uh, and we, of course, we also have an annual shop window is called the National Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast, where 650 people come during ordinary times and worship together in Westminster Hall and receive a sort of an inspirational talk. And so th that's what we're about. It's to encourage and equip all believers at Westminster. And it's a very, very rewarding work to be involved in. Mm. And uh, in my experience of it from many different angles, but most regularly is, is the Bible study that I'm involved in. Uh, every week which is a cross-party thing which I find a massive massive encouragement and blessing to me personally in my life and in my work in parliament and um, obviously you're involved in lots of those bible studies how how does bible study fellowship around a table with a bunch of MPs differ from running a bible study in a house group which I know you've also done I think it's very important <clears throat> that we do meet as members of parliament because it isn't a slightly unusual job as you know and really only other members of parliament quite understand what you're going through in terms of the pressure and then the social media and the you know, constituents and, and, the, and the, the whip system and all the rest of it. So I think it's important that we sort of stand with one another. And, and over the last, well, 25 years, actually not to make myself sound like everyone's granddad, but I've been blessed to be in a, a cross-party group, two Conservative, two Labour, one Lib Dem and one DUP. <clears throat> and we've met together all those years, but building together deepening relationships I think it's very important to deepen relationships and it's it's, an, it's it's quite a tricky thing to start with to pray with someone from another party it's well what am I doing here um but as you as you understand that we're all there's much more that unites us and divides us and we're all there to try and make the country a better place with our different attitudes and, and different ways of doing that then it's there's a real positivity and a real strength to it and we can learn from that and one of the big lessons I had to learn Tim earlier early on was it's legitimate for a Christian to hold a diametrically opposed view to yourself and, and still be in fellowship with them and still recognise there's much, God loves them and they are as much a Christian as you are. And we've got to learn to walk together, even though we disagree on some pretty important things. Mm. I mean, I'll endorse all of those things, but let's just look at that a bit more. We talk about disagreeing well. <laughs> of course, that involves disagreeing. Uh, we've yeah. seen some you know, very passionate disagreement amongst Christians, particularly in the last you know, two or three weeks over the universal credit changes. How do you think we can manage those disagreements, particularly when there are things that are held, you know, hugely passionately? We'll talk about universal credit. We've also had people on both sides of the Scottish independence debate, for example, on this yeah. programme. How can you feel utterly strongly about something like that and yet be in fellowship with someone? I think the fundamental starting point is to say, I can't say that I am 100% right and they are 100% wrong. I think we've got to 
recognize there can be legitimate differences. Thing like universal credit, you know, you can talk about the most important thing is to incentivize people to get back into work or to get into more work or to work more hours or whatever. Or you can talk about, you know, another 20 pounds a week. So you, it partly depends which angle you're coming from. But I think there are very, very few issues on which you can say, as a Christian, you can't possibly take that view. Mm. And um, <clears throat> I think that's one of the key things in disagreeing well. Secondly, relationship helps. Mm. Knowing that you can, tr- no, that this is a good person. They take a different view to me, but this is a good person who's working his or her socks off to help their constituents and, and make their country better. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I've got to listen to what this person is saying as well. So these are some of the aspects, but it's not easy. We get passionate. And sometimes, even as, let's face it, you and I are virtually saints, Tim, but still sometimes we want to punch people on the nose. Let's be, let's be honest about it. <laughs> Just not each other, not each other. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, over the time that you've been in um, Parliament, I guess I'm, I'd be interested, really, from your your um, your view at the centre of Christians in Parliament, having been in Parliament for nearly 30 years, uh, how has, if it at all has, the, the nature or the balance of Christians in Parliament changed? Uh, are there more Christians now than there used to be or fewer? What's the distribution like amongst the parties? What what are the things that have changed in that, that time? Well, I think it's changed an enormous amount. I can remember my first week going to a Bible study at Westminster in 1992, and there were, I think, the four of us there. And that was it for the whole of the House of Commons. That was the weekly exercise, and there was nothing else apart from the annual prayer breakfast, which was organised mm-hmm. by friends in America. Can you believe that? So we've, we've been colonised. Um, now, I think many more Christians in Westminster, partly, as I say, because there's been a sea change in the church. Yes, of course, we should be involved, you know. And um, I think God has been very actively calling individuals. And the beauty for me is there's no, there is no blueprint. It's not, oh, yes, we've all got to come in and we've all got to do this. It's, well, according to your faith and your individual calling, so your focus will be. I mean, there's some people like, let's think of the mighty Fiona Bruce, who I think has done one of your podcasts. Yeah. You know, backbench champion, a warrior for all sorts of causes. It's wonderful. There are others who sort of call to hold high office. That's wonderful too. All sorts of ways to serve. And that's, as I said, calling to our individual calling and God's hand upon us. But there are many more Christians now than when I was first elected in 1992 in all parties. Sometimes, I think some colleagues in the Labour Party would say sometimes it's been hard to be a Christian in the Labour Party when it's been sort of hard left. They don't they don't really go down that route, but but they, you know they've survived and they're flourishing again now with Christians on the left. So I think I'm very encouraged about the state of faith, if you like, at Westminster right now. And I know that there are lots of young people in the pipeline as well, because we don't just do Christians in parliaments, but Christians in politics, which aims to get the message out there to the church. You know, encourage your young people, bright young things, to get involved to serve our country. I know that you know the next 20, 30 years, then there'll be a lot more bright. Uh, talented individuals serving at Westminster and it's very encouraging well let's look at the last 30 years just before we finished um so uh, you'll be celebrating an anniversary in April uh 2022 30 years in the House of Commons what motivates you what keeps you going after all these years yeah well it's still a privilege of course isn't it to, to serve you know that I love walking through Westminster Hall the, the sort of thousand year old you know, um, vast space there. I love that. Um, it's great to be with colleagues, you know, to, to be there with friends and to encourage one another on the journey. So I, I think I, I do sense that, uh, you know, 30 years is getting towards the end of one's ministry, if I put it that way. But um, it, it remains every day as a privilege. 
There, and let's let's finish on this note. Though, there's sacrifice involved too, and all families uh, who are involved in Westminster know this. Especially if you represent a seat not in London, you have to travel. You have to leave your family. There's been tremendous sacrifice that my wife and children have made uh, to enable me to serve in Westminster, uh, and I don't forget that either. So I've got to reflect on that. But um, it's been a privilege and a joy, and hopefully over the rest of this Parliament. I will try to finish strong, as they say. <laughs> well, Gary, we will finish there. And I will say thank you to you for being a blessing to so many of us um, over the years. And I'll say to me personally, someone who's been a great support to me and a great friend, uh, you do a superb job in chairing Christians in Parliament and being somebody who is a, a faithful confidant and advisor and encouragement to, to many, many of us. So thanks for what you've done and for all that you will do. Thanks, Tim. Each week, we answer a question from you, the listener, about how Christianity and politics can work together. Maybe you're thinking through a particular issue, or you're not sure why people disagree on a certain policy. If you've got a question, please write it in an email to farron at premier.org.uk. This week, we've got a question from Cathy in Devon. Yes, my question was about the people that um, have been making the decisions under the emergency laws of the Health Act and um, the fact that um, there are unknown scientists and all sorts of people on board that are advising and um, they were not elected people and the decisions of the government under these emergency rules have not had to apply to Parliament who are our elected representatives and um, yes yeah, so we are being ruled by people we haven't elected. It's a great question Cathy let's look at the Bible for a moment I can't think of any elected officials at all um, uh, or kings or anybody of that sort who was uh, voted in by the people, so to speak, um, someone can correct me. But those people who were in authority, who were kings, did have advisors. It's worth bearing in mind that Daniel and Joseph were two of those advisors. So to be an advisor to a head of state or a minister uh, or a king is not a bad thing. The issue is then about the wisdom of that king or the prime minister or a health secretary in what advice they take. A really important thing, I think, in politics is to understand that you as an MP or a minister are likely to be an expert in very, very few things that you will make decisions on things that you are not expert. And therefore, your key expertise is selecting the right people to advise you and then having the wisdom to listen to them. And so there are people, you know, in a different generation or a different era who'd be the chief medical officer and you would never have heard of them. In this particular uh, season during the pandemic, of course, we have heard of them and they've become household names. I think we should be grateful and thank God for people um, who are wise and who are experts, but we should be praying for wisdom for them and wisdom especially for those people who take their advice and put it into practice. One thing I think maybe you are getting at, Cathy, is that a lot of decisions have been taken, have been taken without um, consulting Parliament. And I certainly take the view um, from a liberal, small L perspective, that it isn't right for governments to take uh, new powers and keep them. One of my observations is that political leaders, when they are given emergency powers, they really don't like giving them up afterwards. And so it's really important that our Parliament holds government to account, then any special powers that have been given should be held for a very short period of time 
and those powers be given back to the people as soon as possible afterwards. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, as we come to the end of our time together this week, let's close in prayer. Uh, loving Heavenly Father, as, as politicians, as MPs go back to Parliament in the next few days following the conference recess, we pray for family life. We pray for the families of MPs and for MPs themselves. We pray for uh, faithfulness within uh, relationships. We pray for obedience to you. Uh, we pray for uh, a good family time together, even though MPs will often be spending time separated from their families as they seek to serve you and serve their communities in two places at once, in Westminster and in the constituencies that send them there. We pray also for government, for those who govern us, that they would do so wisely and in the interests of all the country. We pray too for the opposition, uh, all parties in opposition, that they would provide good scrutiny of the government, uh, that they would hold the government to account, that they would provide plausible alternative government so that our democracy is viable and so that people have illumination and are able to uh, make decisions on the basis of good, reasoned, thoughtful and wise debate. And Lord, we lift all these things up to you for the sake of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, don't forget to subscribe so that other people can see the podcast. Next week, we'll be speaking to the former Labour cabinet minister, Lord Paul Boateng, who is now a peer in the House of Lords and a Christian lay preacher. Thank you so much for being with us. You can listen to the podcast of this programme online by searching for A Mucky Business. Don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like to put to Tim in a future show, email farron at premier.org.uk.